here we are again this week rolling into episode 151 this week iowa slash nebraska angler jordan hurt joins the show and talks about living the dream mlf invitationals and being the king of okaboji enjoy the episode This week, the Hell of Ass Bass Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Arsenal Fishing. Arsenal Fishing offers premium custom-made performance apparel and tackle. Arsenal delivers a wide variety of custom-designed baits, accessories, and tools, along with unique utilitarian apparel for all outdoor enthusiasts. As part of their support, you can use code HELLABASS15 to save 15% on all purchases at arsenalfishing.com to support the show. Now let's get back to helping you catch more bass and suck less. Good evening, everybody. Hello, Bass Live, Wednesday night. Ready to talk about some, I don't know, a little bit of all things, but some upper Midwest bassin and some uh, national bassin and all kinds of things. We got uh, Jordan Hurt. What's going on, man? How's it going? Happy to be here. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't. we don't really know each other. I just kind of heard, I actually, I'll be honest, I heard you on uh, the Midwest Angler podcast, and I was like, that's a guy I want to have on and talk more about. Um, so... Yeah, I, guess I, I kind of had heard your name, but I never really deep dove and then kind of put together things. And I was like, this is this is a guy we should talk to. So. <laughs> Heck yeah. Oh, so, you, so you've been fishing this week at all? Uh, not well. I went out on Saturday um, and then I had so I got a carpet cleaning business on the side and run semi trucks, too. So I had a job I had to do on Sunday, so I didn't get too far from home. I just went to a little local pond and. Um, well, they call them lakes, but they're ponds <laughs> and caught a bunch of little bass some three and a half pounders about the biggest, but it was a fun time. Sure. So at least got to set the hook a little bit and stay sharp, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for joining on the, the Hell Bass Live presented by Arsenal and boosted by Powerhouse Lithium. Glad you could uh, make it on short notice. I've been uh, so full disclosure, my kids and wife are in Florida this week, so I've been like just a complete derelict just binging working and then just hitting the lake every night this week so nice. i'm on like day five in a row of like burning the candle on both ends and coming in hot and putting the camus away and sliding downstairs and, and firing <laughs> up the computer absolutely yeah you're lucky you live close enough to a lake you can leave on mornings and afternoons or whatever <laughs> yeah i think the closest sure. one we got from us is like one that's actually worth something is an hour and a half yeah, uh, if you drive an hour and a half circle around my house, I can hit uh, Pool Four of the Mississippi. I can hit Ligmanatonka and about conservatively a hundred other lakes that got bass in them. <laughs> Lucky you! So my grandparents actually have a cabin up on Pool Four, Lake Pepin. Yeah, nice. So, so you've been, um, yeah, I, I think you mentioned that. That uh, it's, a, it's a fun place for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now that the so they weren't affected by the they're they're up high enough on the bank that they weren't washed out or. Yeah, so right on the north side of town there, there's like a campground, RV park, and they have a permanent trailer, just like a summertime deal um, in that lot. Um, so we usually spend oh, a week or so every year up mm -hmm. there running around the river, and it's always a good time. We used to go, when we were younger, we used to go in June, like the first week of June, because um, my dad and grandpa, they always liked to fish walleyes and stuff. So that was kind of the prime time and not really my flavor, but 
now we usually go up around the 4th of July now and we kind of hit it like right after the spawn. They're kind of in a funk and they're all skinny, but you always mm -hmm. still catch a bunch of fish. They're just not the, the bigger. They don't really have their feed bags on yet, but yeah, still a good time. Absolutely. It's one of my, one of my favorite places is that, you know, pool four, four through like nine. <clears throat> well, yeah. So. <clears throat> yeah. And we've fished some local tournaments down below. We've been to lacrosse and, Prairie to Sheen. I fished a BFL or a couple BFLs down there. And so I've been down pretty much on all the pools except for, I don't think I've been on 11 or South. Sure. Yeah. It's a mailman down. This is a new viewer. Well, welcome. Hope you enjoy it. Stick around. Uh, Matthew seems to think you look like uh, Jimmy, Mr. Beast, the YouTuber. <laughs> kind of see the resemblance a little bit. Um. Oh, wow. Top Toad said he got a big bass on a glide bait. First time throwing one. Nice. Sweet. I've actually been throwing the glide bait quite a bit this week, trying to like force it because I'm just kind of out goofing around, fun yep. fishing, and having really, and I just couple couple rolls and a couple flashes, but uh I have not really dialed in the glide bait. How about you? Is that something you use much or yeah, I uh I throw them. Um for me it's always seems to be like uh you know, you can catch one or two fish unless the conditions are right. You know, I've never had a, like a day where I've been able to go out and catch just limits of bass on it. Um, but I can, I've seemed to pick up one here and there. Um, actually at Clark's Hill this year and the invitationals I caught, um, actually my biggest fish of day one on a glide bait along a dock. So that was pretty cool. But again, it was something that I started throwing after I had the limit. And then I was just trying to cull up a little bit and, one thing I found with the glide is it's really good for like, you see a lot of bass with it. Mm -hmm. So they'll come chase it. And and if you know, he's there that you can turn around or, you know, keep going down the bank or whatever, just remember that dock or brush pile, whatever right. he came out of and go back and you can sometimes catch him on, you know, other presentations, whether jigs or Senkos or whatever, you know? So that's kind of how I use the glides. A lot of like searching practice bait type thing. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's good for that. And you can cover a lot of water with it. Didn't the guy that almost come back and win it on day three catch all those that huge bag on a glide on Clark's Hill? Mm. There was a guy that like was down, you know, below the top ten that caught like twenty seven pounds or something the third day and like almost could scared uh, Dakota E Bear a little bit. Yeah, it could be. I didn't watch any of the live stuff after that one. Um, so I'm not really sure. Now you're kind of confused, like maybe I have to go back and actually, you know what? I don't think he was on the live. It was just more like because he was. I don't think they could get a. You know, he wasn't in the top tens. So I don't think he had a camera, but. Um, so I cool. came up from like first thing in the morning. I went from like 25th or 30th place to like second or something on on sure. the live feed. Um, but that was I was I just got on a dock and they ended up schooling. Mm. Um, around the walkway and it was like every cast. So I had like 17 and a half pounds and like the first hour and a half in the morning. So that was pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. We should probably back it up just a little bit. Uh, yeah. so you're fishing the MLF invitationals this year, but yep. you got there, uh, in kind of a unique way. Um, yep. so you fished the TBF Bass Federation, which I fish my district up here, which is Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, and I think your district is what South Dakota, Nebraska, North Dakota, North Dakota. Yeah. Um, 
Which is and actually we just added Iowa in this year. So they just started a club in Iowa, um, and that's going to be in that region as well. In my region or your region? Our region. So it'll be Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota. Okay, interesting. But uh, yeah, because they didn't—they didn't never for the longest time they were supposed to be in our region, but they never had fifty people. So <clears throat> yeah. Um, but so you 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 how long have you been fishing the TBF? So I've only fished this will so I'm gonna fish it again this year, and this will be my third third year fishing it, I believe, maybe fourth. So I fished it a few years ago. So kind of my I call it my home lake is up in northwest Iowa, Okaboji. Um my grandparents have a house up there and my wife, um, her parents have a summertime house up there as well. Um so we get up there quite a bit. Um, but a few years ago, the, uh, the TBF had their state and regional tournament on Okaboji. So that was kind of my first deal. I never really heard about them before, but some of the local guys heard that it was coming. So we jumped in it. Um, I made it to regionals the first year, um, but didn't get past regionals. And then two years ago, when was that? Been 21, I think, um, Again, they came back for regionals on Okaboji, but the state tournaments were down in Missouri. So I had to run. We went down to Lake of the Ozarks in June, and I ended up winning the state tournament down there, which qualified me to fish the regionals that fall on Okaboji. And then I ended up winning the Okaboji tournament in the fall, which got me to nationals. And nationals was down on Lake Conroe in Texas. And went down there. I'd never been down to Texas. Um, there was a big cold front that came in the week before and during our practice. I remember we left 20-degree weather, and we showed up to 25, 30-degree weather. So it wasn't much different than home. But um, with all preparation, we kind of thought the fish were going to be spawning down there. And with that cold front, they weren't. And so I ended up winning. Um down on Lake Conroe is a three-day national tournament. So I won the live in the dream package, which qualified me to fish the invitationals this year. Right. And at that time, had you ever fished anywhere even remotely close that or that far South or like how far South had you fished before Conroe? Uh, so we made it down to like Grand Lake in Oklahoma a little bit. Um, I've been on Bull Shoals a few times in Arkansas um, the Missouri Lakes, I've been on Stockton and Palmy, Lake of the Ozarks, right. Truman, a lot of those. I'd Not so much tournament fishing on them, but I'd been down to them, you know. Uh, Table Rock, I've been yeah. down there. But, but yeah, farthest south was by far Texas, and I think that was like a 13-and-a-half-hour drive or 14-hour drive from home. Nice. Yeah. I think you caught some pretty, I don't know, uh, remarkable fish. In practice yep. and right, like you kind of caught some of the biggest fish you'd ever caught in your life in that Conroe yeah. tournament. Yeah. So the biggest fish I'd ever caught came out of a lake in uh, northern Missouri. It was Lake Mazingo. Um, and it was like right at eight pounds. And the first fish I caught at Conroe was eight and a half pounds or eight and a quarter, somewhere in there, just on the little Rapala scale that I weighed him on. So that was my personal best. And then the first day of the tournament, the first keeper I caught was um that 1015 that i weighed <laughs> so that was pretty cool and is that, that like fish, when you catch it like i mean that was a 
pretty sizable jump in the first fish in the i mean like did it take you like were you like all business right back to it or did it take you like a few minutes to like okay like that just happened and like yes well i mean i was i was pretty jacked up because well at first i thought so i'd caught that eight pounder and when he came up and jumped when i was fighting that fish in uh he came up and jumped a couple times and whatever and i just i just assumed it was another eight pounder and i'm like holy crap you know i get him in the net I weigh him and on the the little rapless scale I had, it came in at like 11.04. And I'm like, I just couldn't believe how big. So I was just admiring the fish, you know, just, just cause I'd never even seen a bass that big. Opening live all is just like real, like. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm running a nitro Z 20 and, and they got big live balls in them. Um, Right. They got the splash guard. So like the, the opening of the live ball is a little bit smaller, but once you get in there, I mean, you can reach your whole hand all around wherever. Why well, to like bend that fish in half to get him in there. And then he touched corner to corner as he was mm-hmm. sitting in there. Cause he was so long. I think he was like 25 and a half inches long or something like that. If I remember right. Right. So yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy. And then, um, so then I ended up catching. So in the first couple hours, I think by like, 11 o'clock i think i finally had five and then i just went and fished a whole bunch of new water just looking for stuff to keep you know so i could keep going throughout the week and then luckily that area for the most part so i caught all my fish in that same area where i caught that um almost 11 pounder and the second day but then the third day i think i caught two off of that area and then then it kind of dried up. Like I caught a bunch of stripers or white bass, whatever they are down there. And so then I had to just ditch everything. And I mm-hmm. just started running some other stuff that I'd marked in practice that I, that I hadn't made a cast on in the tournament yet. And I ended up catching at like noon. I caught one that was right at or just over six pounds. And that brought me up to 11 pounds on the third day. And then I always had a little, there was a little bridge right before um, the ramp. And I could stop on that every afternoon for the last 30 minutes or whatever. And, and you could catch keepers there. So I, in the back of my head, I wasn't really panicked because I had that bridge I could stop on, you know? And then I stopped there and and fished and fished and fished. I think I spent like an hour and a half on that and couldn't catch any more keepers. So I had to go in the last day with only three fish and, and luckily it was enough, but, but it was pretty close at the end of that last day. I think I, you know, I think I, I won it by like two pounds or something, but still that Scott Bonima from Minnesota, he caught like 18 something that last day. And, and that was, um, the guy that I ended up beating to, for the win. Yeah. I've fished against Scott many times. He's a pretty good guy. I don't know oh, absolutely. He's an awesome yeah. guy. And I still talk to him every once in a while now too. So nice. pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So I yeah, so winning the TBF championship that gives you the living the dream package. Maybe you can kind of tell people what what that is and what that all. Yep. So the living the dream package um, when I won um, consisted of a brand new Ranger Z twenty, um, two hundred and fifty, um, decked out with uh, electronics and trolling motor and everything. Um, twenty thousand cash um, at the ramp, and then you got you were. Uh, Let's see how did it go they um so it qualified you to fish the bfl all american that year so mm-hmm. basically i think they pay basically like the entry fees for you if you were to actually fish a bfl circuit and qualify because they don't want just to give somebody a spot right so like you still pay your way in um 
to fish the All-American and then the Toyota Series Championship all in the same year. So I went down to, so it was Texas in February for the TBF National Championship. Then June was the BFL All-American in Arkansas and Lake Hamilton. And then the Toyota Series Championship was in November on Gunnersville. Nice. And then January, the tour started. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, so, so it's kind of go, go, go. A bunch of prestigious, uh, like, you know, obviously the TVF National Championship is a pretty big event. They, it's pretty first class. Yep. I uh, know a lot of guys have made it. Um, but then you get to fish and be up All-American, which is probably one of the, I don't know, longest. I mean, like outside of the Classic and maybe the, the U.S. Open, it's probably one of the most prestigious, like, kind of most tradition laden tournament there is so that's pretty cool and then yeah. you know the everstart kind of new but it's it's one of the big championships for sure so it really gives you uh an opportunity to fish some big tournaments and like honestly i mean obviously you didn't have the success in either one of those that you probably wanted but like right. you get on the right you get out of heater all of a sudden and you could be really chunking away some cash so right yeah and that's uh so what was kind of cool about the bfl american is everybody in the tbf national championship that made the last day qualified to go to the all-american yeah so when i got down there like there was scott and some of the other guys that i had fished against in texas that i knew and you know we could kind of bounce stuff around each other or whatever and so at least you weren't kind of just down there by yourself or whatever for the first time you know and then yeah. um but then i was the only one that qualified for the toyota series championship and and i think that's about the biggest championship um for the middle like up and coming anglers, you know, like the, that's like the, one of the biggest payouts. Cause we fished for, I think it was 220,000 on that one. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a pretty big event. And there's a lot more boats than that one with all American. I think there was 52 ish or something. And then the Toyota series championship, I think there was a couple hundred or around that number. So definitely get you, get you kind of used to what it's like. <laughs> Because our so little lakes up here, we don't ever have them big tournaments. So, quick question. Did they start calling you top bird before or after you won the national championship? <laughs> I think that's RJ's deal. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he said everybody called you that. <laughs> I don't know about that. No? <laughs> RJ's got the top bird. Just ask him. Nice. AJ's saying hi. What's up, AJ? How's it going, AJ? Um, <clears throat> but... uh cool so then like living the dream package it kind of makes this like you know st- i mean obviously I, I think you're kind of a tournament junkie you probably had your at least i don't know if, like serious thoughts but i always had some aspirations to probably fish at a high level for a long time Absolutely. Um, but obviously that winning at conroe probably accelerated that quite a bit i would imagine yeah um, yeah so i was kind of getting to the point where i was going to start trying some of the toyota series and we we're kind of figuring out a way to not only fund them but you know, get the timing rights and the dates or whatever, the vacation times and whatnot. And and it was kind of in the stepping stone and then Conroe happened and it was just like, here it is, take it or leave it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we went for it. And you're, you, it sounds like you still have another job and they're allowed to be flexible and could work it out. And yeah. So my little brother and I own a small trucking company and we got two trucks. Um, mm-hmm. I drive one every day locally and then he drives one um over the road he basically runs coast to coast sure and then we also my dad had started a carpet cleaning business um and him and i dylan and i a few years ago bought that from him so now we you know 
do carpet jobs on the side when they're, you know, in between trucking and whatnot. So usually after I get done trucking during the day or if Dylan's home then he'll do them carpets and whatever, and we just kind of take turns with that. So, so with that, we do have a little bit of flexibility, but you still got to keep everybody happy. So it's like three full-time jobs now going, going, going. There you go. And and a family all the boot. So constant, constant juggling. That's cool. And you're, you're not exactly from, we didn't really talk about this. You're not exactly from the hotbed of where professional anglers are known to come from. Why don't you tell people like where you live and. Right. So I grew up in, uh, well, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hmm. Um, My dad was an airplane pilot. So um, the base was in Milwaukee where, um, where we lived or whatever. So then we they opened up a base in Omaha. So then my parents moved here and then, um, shortly after we moved to Omaha, we moved to Glenwood, Iowa. And then that's basically, I think I was in second grade when I moved there. So I was born and raised there. And then now my wife and I live, um, in council bluffs. So basically only 15 miles North of of where I went to school and everything. So, yeah, we don't have a whole lot of lakes or nothing. Um, growing up again, like I said earlier, they, my grandparents had a cabin on the Mississippi river. We always made a week trip up there. And then my other grandparents were on Lake Okoboji, which at the time wasn't the bass fishery that it is now. Sure. And it was constantly taking probably 17, 18 pounds to win there. But I actually got my first kind of taste at tournaments was up at, the Mississippi river on pool four, there was an Everstart going out of Red Wing yeah. and some of the guys were staying down at our campground. So I ended up, my brother and I, you know, just being nosy little kids walking around, looking at the boats and whatever. And we were talking to these guys and they were all showing us all the baits they were using and telling us, here's a magazine. Like the one guy was from um, uncle Josh and they gave us a magazine. He said, go through that magazine, anything you guys want go ahead and call me in two weeks and I'll just send it to you. So we're like, sweet. Like these bass guys are awesome. Like way cooler (laughs) than the walleye guys that we're used to. Like they don't tell you nothing, you know, and these guys are like, this is what we're using. So, so we took him up on that. He sent us a bunch of uncle Josh porks and some jigs and, and then we fished them pretty much everywhere we went, whether it was Okaboji or little farm ponds back home. And, and since then, I think I was hooked and basically it was bass fishing only for me. And, Oh yeah. That's the old can too. <laughs> the good ones. Yeah. So, yep. So that was kind of how I got started in the bass fishing. And then once I graduated high school, um, I got a job like most of the kids that I went to school with. And my whole goal was basically just get enough money. What do I got to do to get a bass boat? So I bought my first bass boat. It was a 20 foot Stratus 201 Pro XL. Um, I think I picked it up for like 15 grand and ran that all over iowa um just fishing local circuits you know there was a bait shop in council bluffs wood sporting goods that put on mm-hmm. like one event every month or so so we jumped into a lot of those um and then basically i remember going so back then we didn't really have the internet to know which tournament circuits were coming to town or what lakes they were on so we would just show up at the lake and if there was tournament guys getting ready to go out we just go ask them hey can we get in it and most of the time they'd let you, they, you know, you might have to pay a $10 membership plus the entry or whatever, but they were always pretty cool about that. And so we did that for several years and, and then just moved up from there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and Council Bluffs is basically right across from Omaha, right? So yep. you're basically right on Just the right across the river. Yeah. Yeah. Two two bass fishing hotbeds right next to each other in the, in a tight knit area for sure. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> and when you say like you say Okaboji is like your home lake, but it's like three hours north of you, right? Yeah, three and a half hours. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But that's one one of the biggest bodies of water we have in Iowa. There's a couple of reservoirs and stuff like Sailorville, Red Rock, and Rathbun, but they don't. Rathbun's got some good fish in it, but Sailorville and Red Rock they're kind of flood control deals, so they always get pretty wiped out during the spawn so there's not a huge population on them so there's really not even tournaments there's a few tournaments on uh rathbun but sailorville and red rock if they have one tournament a year i think that's pretty good for them yeah most of the tournaments outside of the i guess the iowa great lakes as they are they're called right is on the river which is you know four probably four or five hours to the other side of iowa yeah it's about six for me so it's about the same drive for me to go to pool four or lacrosse or prairie i mean it's it's about six six and a half hours ish for me sure no matter which one you go so the other kind of tournament hot spot in iowa is like the creston area which is south central mm-hmm. iowa and there's 12 mile three mile green valley icaria some of those and and they're not big lakes by any like your guys standards are little tiny puddles but right. <laughs> but there's usually tournaments over there every single weekend throughout the summer and year so we kind of yeah. cut our teeth there and and we you know i always try to be versatile and you know if you go to south central iowa it's their little man-made reservoirs so there's timber and brush piles rock piles stuff like that so like you get used to or the experience to fish those and then you got the river which is on the other side of the state from us but then you're fishing the currents and grass and stuff and then you got okaboji which you got all kinds of docks and a natural lake so they all kind of three fish differently or they have their own styles you know but i think knowing how to fish all of those has really helped me when going on you know for the invitationals and stuff so yeah and actually i i'd never (laughs) kind of late to the game i I drove down to okaboji for the first time back in like mid-april Never, yep. no, it's only it's only three hours for me, but I also drive by a lot of water in that three hours to get right. There. Um, <clears throat> but uh, a pretty interesting lake. There's actually a lot going on. I mean, West Boji, pretty deep, clear. I mean, yep. I don't know how deep it gets, but it's offshore rocks, a lot of shoreline habitat. You got you know rock veins, and I'm sure a lot of grass. I would imagine pops up in the summer, right? And then yep. like going into East Boji, and then Gar and Upper East, right? Those are kind of like. The lakes you see in southern Minnesota, kind of like you know, dishpan, mud, you know, you know, yeah, assume they choke out pretty bad with weeds in the spring and that kind of stuff. I would imagine. So. Yeah, so I don't know what the deal is this year. Normally, by this time, like the the east side of the, the lake, so you got Minnewashta, the upper and lower gars, and then the east lake. Um, usually, the curly leaf pond weed is all topped out by now, and, right. and you know, you can't even have to get your boat around, but. Um, but for some reason, I don't know if it was the snow this year or if they started spraying. Hopefully they didn't start spraying, but kind of rumor has it they maybe have. Um, but yeah, other, so and then those lakes are usually a lot dirtier, too, than like the West, um, West right. Lake. So it kind of actually really reminds me of like Minnetonka. Right. I've been up there kind of, a few kind times. Kind of flip-flopped east to west, but yeah, similar. Right. But they got a big, clean, deep body and then they've got shallower stubs and yeah, all mm-hmm. those types of north arm and west arm and yeah yeah sure yeah yeah so we've definitely 
fished a series, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago now, the Denny Super 30. Okay. So we fished that one year, but that didn't go so hot for us. <laughs> you fished the whole, the, the, the Tonka Denny's? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, kind of, kind of a big steep learning curve to fish against guys that fish Tonka five times a week. Right. Well, that and uh, so we don't have milfoil like you guys do up there. And so... And I know grass edges and whatever are kind of a big deal up there too, but I think a lot of those fish were actually like buried into those, mm-hmm. a lot of those mats and stuff. And that was something we'd never done before. So, that, I mean, it was a good learning experience and stuff, but I think the best we ever did there was like a top 20 maybe. Yeah. Um, so, and recently the Okoboji opened. So you drove, I think you, did you fish a, was it the, it was the Invitational on Ozarks, right? Yep. We yep. had a pretty good finish. We'll probably circle yep. back to the MLF Invitationals again. But then you drove straight home overnight. What, did you sleep at the ramp for like 20 minutes and then hop on Okaboji for the open? Or how, how did that go down? <laughs> yeah, so we got done at the weigh-in down at Lake of the Ozarks that Saturday night about 5 o'clock. And I think we finally got rolling like 5.30 or so to head back home. So it was like six hours from home from the Ozarks. Um, we stopped there, dropped off my boat. And then my team partner, Marshall, he was already up um, pre-fishing a little bit on Saturday. So while I was fishing the Invitationals, he was out pre-fishing Okoboji. Um, Then the wife and my daughter and I, we dropped my boat off at home and headed for Okoboji. And luckily, her par- uh, my wife's parents let us stay at their house. So I think we rolled into their door at uh, 2.45, 3 o'clock in the morning. So I got maybe two hours of sleep and Marshall picked me up at their house at 5 a.m. And I remember I was uh, just as we were sitting there waiting for blast off and stuff, I was cutting leaders off and tying whatever I wanted to use up on Boji compared to the Ozarks, you know, and like not prepared at all. Well, rods are just in a massive pile. And a like, bags well, I only, and yeah, stuff. I only brought four rods, I think. But, <laughs> but yeah, I was cutting, putting new line on them, getting ready and. And yeah, then Marshall and I ended up winning the Okaboji Open with a little over 30 pounds, like 30.44, which to my knowledge, that's the biggest bag in Iowa to date, and especially on that chain. Um, but there was like the weekend before, I think a guy weighed 29 something. Okay. So that was previous. And then Marshall last year weighed a 28 pound sack. And that I was, was like actually, in the summer though, wasn't it? Like, uh, so no, that, that was. That was late spring, okay. um, and that was in the Bass Nation team trail. And I jumped in just to try to jackpot that tournament because um, Marshall always fishes that series with his dad. Um, so I just jumped in with another buddy, and we ended up getting second with 27-something. And that was my biggest bag on Okaboji to date. And then Marshall beat me out with 28 pounds. And then one of our other buddies from up there, Chris Miller, he caught – a 28 pound sack in, uh, in like September, like the middle end of September, I think last year. So then that was the biggest sack. And then that 29 pound this spring. And then now our 30. <laughs> that's wild. I mean, so, that, yeah, that's crazy stuff for like this part of the country. I mean, right. it happens every now and then we've, we've seen big stone do some similar things. Yep. Uh, there's a couple other, like we've seen some smallies up North, but like, I mean, and I think you said, I remember you had like a seven and a half and a seven, a quarter. I mean, two seven pounders in your bag. Yep. Yeah. It was uh, a pretty special day. Kind of one of those days where just everything works out and both of us are catching them. And we always joke around, like, seems like some days, like I would catch him better. And some days 
he would catch him better. And it's like, if we can ever just make it where we both catch him good in one day, like it's going to be, it's going to be a good day. And then that happened. And <laughs> did, you, did you each get a seven? Yeah. So actually he caught one, um, actually like in the first hour in the morning. Um, and we had, we had like 21 pounds pretty early and then kind of the wind and everything kind of died. And, and we thought it was going to be tough. Cause normally when that happens, it, it is a lot tougher. And then we got onto a little spot um, later in the day. And, and then I caught that seven and a half and he caught another six. And then I think we had two upper fours in our bag too. So like almost five pounders, um, which our scale was weighing a little off. It said like we had like 29 something, I think. So who knows where they were at on our scale, but that's kind of what we were going off of anyways. Yeah, so the pre-spawn still at that time, I assume, down there? Yep, yep, most of them were just staging. So obviously, like, don't want to get into details, your partner's not here, but, like, is it a power fishing thing? Is it a finesse thing? Like, what, uh, moving baits, like, drag, and just kind of high level, what kind of, like, so the, everything, or? Yeah, so the cool thing with Okaboji is you can literally do whatever you want. I mean, you can go, you can throw shallow crankbaits, you can throw spinner baits. we've caught them on chatter baits. I mean, you can drag jigs and plastics around, you can drop shot them. I mean, it's so versatile there, because you can, you, if, you know, if you want dirtier water, you can go find it, and there's giant fish that live in the dirty water. If you want the clean, clear water, you can go to that, and there's big fish there. Um, the whole fishery is just so healthy right now that, I mean, basically, how, whatever your guys' style is, or anybody that wants to go, like, whatever you like to do, just go do that, because you can win doing it. Interesting. Um, so it's a pretty it's a pretty special place up there and what do you think is i mean like you said like it's always been a good lake right yeah. like it's like its trajectory is like every year is like wow it's probably like i mean probably for the last three four years you've probably been thinking wow man it's probably about to hit the peak and then it's kind of you know it'll be good but it's gonna you know taper off right but like it's yeah it's still peaking so, which it's hard to yeah. think it can get much better than it is now i mean just for this area but like what do you think is making it so I mean, so right now there's a lot of forage, um, in the system. There's a lot of bluegills, there's a lot of perch. Um, and I, and I mean, there's as many as those, um, bait fish as a fish want to eat. I mean, they're everywhere. So I think that has a lot to do with the size of it. Um, they got zebra mussels a few years ago, so that's kind of cleaned up the water a little more. Um, and Westlake's always been super clean. Um, but like, the Eastern lakes, like they've always been a lot dingier and now they're a lot cleaner. Um, there's a lot more weeds like the curly leaf pond weed. It's only been here for a few years. Um, and that just gives the little fish more hiding areas, you know, so more fish make it every year. And, and I think, and then the zebra mussels, they came in eight or 10 years ago too. Um, so I don't know, a little combination of all of it, I think is just kind of, you know, the fish are there. They, they can eat whenever, whatever they want all day long and it just grows them yeah absolutely taylor said he he fished at 22 pounds first time super yeah. fun but like 22 pounds nice job taylor but that probably put uh, what was it how many boats are in the open 70 80 so there was 90 in it this year 90. so what they pay down to what like eighth place i think they only paid to eighth i think so That's a pretty shallow or... payout <laughs> yeah and uh, then uh so previous like so, I mean, like, I guess eighth place to probably get paid was probably, what, 24, 25, somewhere in there? Yeah, somewhere in there. 23 or 24, I think, was at least the lowest one, or maybe 22. I can't remember. 
but I think it was up there a little better than that. So we had, we weighed 22 pounds last year, Marshall and I, and we took the last check with like, I think it was seventh and we had 22 pounds or, hmm. or 22 and a half, something like that. But go back eight, nine, 10 years from that, my brother and I got second up there one year um, and we only had 18 pounds. So in the last 10 years, these fish have just gotten giant. I've been on that side of things on Big Stone a few times where you catch 20, 21 pounds and they're like, do a little pat on the head and keep moving. (laughs) So we actually have the state tournament up there in the first week of June on Big Stone. I've never been there, but we're going to make a trip up there and see how that goes. So that should be fun. We're pretty excited about doing that. When you caught 30 pounds, how many fish do you guys think you cycled through that day? Oh, I don't know, 25 or so probably. I mean, so you're, you're, I mean, it's not like crushing, but you're busy. You're catching them. Mm-hmm. Like, and you probably could have caught more, but you were also right at some point you're like, we already got 20 some we're, we're focused on a different right, right class of fish at some point as well. Yeah. Um, and then like, those are all largemouth. Yeah. Right. But there's smallies. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So that 27 pound bag that I weighed last year in the Bass Nation deal, that one, I had two small mouths in our bag and one was on, one was just over six pounds. And another high four. So there's giant smallmouth in there too. And the biggest smallmouth. What's that? Go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say the biggest smallmouth I've caught up there. I weighed one in a, and it was actually a Minnesota club. And for whatever reason, they had the tournament on a Friday up there. And Mm -hmm. I weighed like a seven and a, just over seven pound smallmouth up there. It's like 704 or something, 703. Do you know what the biggest five all smallmouth bag has been that you've seen or heard of or not on okaboji so spirit like just north of that we weighed yeah. um a bag up there that was just over 25 pounds of all smallmouth um and fun fishing i've caught them 24 25 on on westlake but um you know it seems like largemouth really wins so we kind of target them right in the tournaments or anything but certain times a year smallmouth will play um but usually then the largemouth bags um, aren't coming up. So like 23, 24 pounds of smallmouth usually wins then. (laughs) (laughs) So actually the invitationals, um, they're letting us run the new Bubba scale this year. And we actually, we get to take it with us. So, and I didn't bring it with me to Okaboji that weekend, but swapping everything so late, it was just grab whatever, the essentials right. were and leave but no i've been pretty impressed with the that new bubba scale um so that deal it links to our phone so every morning at the invitationals we have to pull up the app um they've got a the new tournament day set up in the app and then you click mm-hmm. it you pair the pair the scale to your phone and then enter into that tournament day and then when you weigh, when we weigh our fish throughout the day, it automatically sends them to the live leaderboard. So then it doesn't give you the opportunity to fudge it like Bass Track. Right. But no, they, and they actually, they are pretty accurate. I mean, within an ounce or two, I think, of, of what we actually have. Um, but they've been super, super nice. I mean, good scales. They're good quality. Um, they just switched it out now, and they gave us lithium batteries at the Ozarks or... Mm-hmm might have been you follow that they gave us the lithium batteries but now we can recharge them um but i think i've since you and the ozarks i don't even think i've charged my scale yet and it's still like full battery so that's pretty cool. sweet 
All right. In just about a second, we're going to switch and talk about uh, ML Fentationals. But first, quick little insert from one of our partners here. So, Need to reel in your next home purchase or refinance? Supreme Lending's Dream Team can help guide you through the entire mortgage process from pre-qualification to closing. We have a wide variety of home loan programs in our tackle box, including down payment assistance and first-time homebuyer options. You can ask Hellebass. He trusted us to help finance his home. Contact the Dream Team today by searching Supreme Lending Dream Team or click the link below in the description or scan the QR code on your screen. All right, we're back. Well, thanks for your patience. Absolutely. Companies that support the, the channel. And if you guys, anybody's looking to buy a home, worth checking it out. The the guy that owns it runs it. He's a bass head like me. He's uh he fishes in in the in Minnesota in tournaments. So you know if you want to, you know obviously you're not gonna go buy a house just because this. But if you're in the market, you know it's worth giving them a a, a call. So absolutely. <clears throat> uh, Bill says must be a, a powerhouse in that scale. I, I don't know if RJ makes batteries quite that small yet. But... I know he needs to. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, so kind of back and forth here you've been fishing mlf so you started out in okeechobee back in yep. what february march when did that kick off yeah, i think it was first of february or first week of february somewhere in there so yeah that was a learning curve for me um there's a ton of big fish in that place obviously i mean anybody that knows bass fishing that okeechobee is a world renowned and, and it was a little different this year than like years past. There was uh, a lot higher water, which what that ended up doing down there. And, and actually, Okeechobee kind of reminded me a little bit more or less just because of the size of Malax Lake. I mean, you get out in the middle of that thing and you can't see across it. And But then once you get on the edges, it's just weeds everywhere, you know. So, right. Um, Except for rocks because, on Malax. Yeah, and, and there actually is a lot of rocks down on uh, on Okeechobee too. So you actually hmm. got to be careful, like all the run channels that come. So there's like a there's a canal around the whole lake that you can rim run. Ditch. Yep. yep. And then there's canals that run from the rim ditch out into the main lake. Well, when they dig all those trenches, they just dump the rocks right on the side. So like when you're coming, if you're on the main lake, just running across one of the rim ditches um, canals, you got to you got to slow down and make sure which when we were there, cause the water was so high, it wasn't really an issue. You could kind of just run anywhere, but like in lower, lower water conditions, um, you definitely got to watch out for that. Cause you can, you can really mess some stuff up there. Um, but yeah, so because of that high water and the hurricanes and stuff last fall, they, uh, it really dirtied up most of the areas. So there's only a couple areas that had clean water, so driving around in practice, I mean, we spent a lot of time just on the big motor, just looking for clean water. Um, and then once you found it, there was just boats stacked on top of each other, whether it was guide boats or local fishermen, tournament guys. So you're on this huge lake and then you're fishing within cl close corners of everybody else. So that was kind of, I don't know. I don't typically, I don't really like fishing right next to people, you know, but that's kind of what you had to do down there. And then the, the fishing was a little bit slower for me anyways. Um, guys all day during the events and practice, everything catching giant fish all around you. 
but they're usually throwing shiners, live bait, and you're sitting there with artificials and can't hardly get them to bite. <laughs> so it was definitely eye-opening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, that wasn't that – and then I guess, you know, Okeechobee this spring was – it was okay, but, like, not crazy good. But then they just had, like, a tournament. It might have been the same weekend as the, the Okaboji. Yeah, and there was, it, like, like – just went off, like – there 29 like, pounds or 29 bags over 30 pounds or something like that. Or yeah, 29. like 29, 29 pounds didn't get a check. And like, <laughs> yeah. I think Scott Martin had a post or something and he weighed like 27 or 29 pounds and was like just out of a check range. Yeah. Which is just crazy. And I don't think there was any like super big fish. I don't think there was like a bunch of nine and 10 pounders. It was a lot of like five, six, seven pounders. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of just solid. Yeah, that lake is pretty cool. I, hopefully, I can't wait to get back down there and give it another shot because it is fun down there. Yeah, because that was your it's been your worst event of the season so far. Okay. So far, yep. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like 130th or something, 32nd, whatever. <laughs> right out of what 150, 170. Yep. Yeah, yeah, 150. So then, quick turnaround. What like two weeks later, you're up at Clark's Hill. Yep. I had I had my best finish there. Um, again, I'd never been on Clark's Hill or nothing, um, but I ended up I think sixteenth place there, and so that was a a, a good confidence boost. Um, and you know, making the third day that was pretty cool. Um, and fishing the, the way I like to fish, you know, I was targeting brush piles and and actually, uh, so the first day was my worst day there. And I'd found some big fish on brush piles on the lower end, and I kind of ran that all day. And then in practice, one of the days, I went up one of the rivers, and I caught a bunch of males, and they were um, on pretty isolated but specific stumps and little stick-ups and stuff on the backs of coves. So mm-hmm. I, um, as the tournament was going on, it was warming, and when the – bigger fish down the lake for me didn't really cooperate the first day i just left all them ran all the way up the river started fishing the little stumps and stuff and i think i had like 15 or 16 pounds the first day and then the second day i just ran back up that river and fished again and stacked up like 17 pounds and you you said they were schooling on like one dock just came up and just yeah there's a one dock on a little point in the back of this cove and um and i'd caught a fish there the second day and then I flipped back in there and caught another one, but it didn't help me. So I just left them. I was like, well, I'll just come back here tomorrow, whatever. And the next day, the last day I rolled in there, um, must have been like nine o'clock or eight thirty. And the first bite I caught was like a two and a half pounder. And then I caught a three pounder and then a four pounder. And then, I mean, once I caught them first two, they started boiling. And I, there must have been shed. The water is pretty dirty, so you couldn't really see into it. But um they were just boiling right at the surface. So mm. it was like as fast as you could flip anything in there, you could catch them. <laughs> well, you, you think it was shad, not herring? It could have been herring. I don't know, but I'm I'm guessing it was, there was. So there was both there. Um, the mm-hmm. herring seemed to be down um, in the cleaner water. And maybe they okay. did go up the rivers. I don't really know a whole lot about, you know, what the whole migration like is for them. But, but there was schools of bait fish around me up in the north end, whether they were shad or herring. The water, like I said, was dirty, so you couldn't really see them. But... But they were definitely in there eating something and then getting ready to spawn too. So, right, very cool. 
Nice. So then you roll out of there. You kind of got some redemption. You you cast a nice check. You're feeling like, all right, well, maybe like, yeah, right. I'm sure there was like a little bit of doubts in the back of your mind. You're like, well, maybe this, you know, maybe I wasn't really <laughs> cut out for this. Like, you know. Yeah, like, absolutely. And then uh, you then you're like, you're back. You're like, hey, I do belong here, right? And then uh, yeah. a little bit of break, and then you roll to Eufaula, Oklahoma. Yeah. So all my practically a local there. I mean, come on, that's probably only like a nine hour drive. Come on. Yeah, no, it wasn't a bad drive. Um, And I actually stopped at Eufaula because I'd never been there either. Um, Massive. What's that? Massive. Oh, yeah, it's huge. So looking at it on the map, you're like, oh, you know, it's kind of like grand or whatever. Like it. I thought Clark's Hill was going to seem like I thought it was going to be super huge just because of all the coves and stuff that it has. Yeah. But really running up the river, I mean, only took like. 15 to 25 minutes from the ramp, depending on how far you go. So, I mean, once you've made the run, you're like, oh, shoot, this place isn't as big. It doesn't feel and as it gets big. Anyways. pretty narrow. Like, there isn't a ton of, like, shoots off. I mean, there's a few, but it's not, right. like, not a ton. Once I mean, I, I fished there once for a Bassmaster Weekend Series championship years ago. And, it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good-sized lake, but it's not overwhelming. Absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah, so then I stopped at Eufaula on my way home because I had, I think I left Eufaula on Friday. Um I stopped at Bob with Powerhouse. I stayed in Atlanta, Georgia with him and RJ mm-hmm. um, after the tournament. And then that next day, I drove all the way to Eufaula. Um, I didn't get there till after dark, so I didn't get on the water the first night. But then I fished Saturday and half the day Sunday and just mainly just drove around and just looked at the place. Um, and there was a bunch of areas that was like super dirty water, like really muddy water. And then there was two areas I found that were clean, cleaner water. Um, so when we went back down there and started practicing, I just kind of focused on that cleaner water and, and the water was super low. And then there was a bunch of like big rocks, like big boulders in that place. And I found the fish were just, just off the bank and anywhere you could find those big boulders, they were, they were moving up to kind of spawn around them. But with there only being so much of that clean water, a lot of the guys found that. And then the last day too, there was a, uh, a big high school tournament going on. And I think mm. they had like 150 boats in that. And then they were all around everybody too. And, and everybody's got the right to be out there nothing against them, you know, but it was just busy with people. Um, and I did find some stuff in the dirty water um, that I caught fish on in practice. But um, during the tournament, I left like the second, I think second and third day and tried to get some of those fish going, but. I don't know if the water maybe warmed up too much and they weren't biting moving baits anymore. So, and it, and like you said, it was so massive there that you can't just get on a bank and just go because you can go for miles and never seem like you're getting anywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. But no, that was a fun place. Um, and I got to check. Got to check there. there yeah. Go. So I got like 44th there, I think. So again, I got to fish the third day and any day, anytime you can fish the third day, I mean, that's, that's the first goal every time we go to one of these places. So, and then from Eufaula, we left there and like a, three weeks or a month later, we went to the Ozarks. Which is the one that basically was late May, right? <clears throat> yep. And I'd fished the Ozarks before several times. I actually won the Nebraska state tournament in June there, um, the year before, um, Granted, that was a lot smaller tournament. You know, I think there's only maybe 30 boats in it or something. But I'd never been on the Ozarks uh, this time of the year. Um, And we were thrown a giant cold front during practice. So fishing around, the fishing was pretty tough. Um, I think in three days, I only caught one fish over four pounds. Um, We caught 
you know, you could catch just keepers or, you know, two pounders, but the bigger fish seemed non-existent there. Um, there was tons of beds, but no fish on them. But then on our off day, I think was the curveball. It warmed up. There was light winds, got really warm. And then by the first day of the tournament, a lot of those bigger females moved up onto beds just overnight. And I think they just moved back onto their beds. Um, and the first day I got into the back of one of the coves. So I started kind of fishing like a pre-spawn, like brush pile pattern. I caught a couple small keepers. Um, and at about 10, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, I decided to run around and look for, for spawning fish. And I ended up coming around a corner in the back of one of the docks and there was like a three and a half or four pounder sitting on a bed. And I thought that was maybe the female first, but then after fishing for it for a little while, all of a sudden the female showed up and it was much bigger. And right as she pulled up to the edge of the bed, the male bit. And I still had like a 12 inch spot in the live well. So I really needed that male at three and a half pounds or whatever he was. Um, but I decided just to not, not set the hook on him and he swam Shook on it. the bed, spit it. Well, then she swam on. And I think 10 flips later, she bit it, caught her. She was a five, six and ended up winning big bass of the day with that one. Um, <clears throat> and then a couple flips later, I caught, I caught that male. So I ended up getting him too. Um, but yeah, so there I was throwing around, uh, that new Berkeley coal shed, um, I think around. I saw that in one of your. Uh, I was like, I was looking at the, your photo guy. And I was like, he's, he's got himself a coal shed. So is that yeah. uh, how did you how did you happen upon that? Um, so I'm actually on the Berkeley testing team. Okay. So um, we've actually been fishing that bait for. Well, we had it late summer, mid summer last year. So we've been playing around with it from through the different prototypes and stuff. And uh, and then this spring, when Edwin Evers kind of dropped the ball on it with showing the world it at red a bunch of guys bertrand i mean there was a bunch of guys throwing it yeah oh yeah absolutely and i think uh but yeah so then when that happened all of the little samples that um our guys up at berkeley had they all went to the pros so i have i know a handful of them a couple of them is all but um but yeah so i was throwing that around and that's a super super cool bait um the hook hanger and everything like it's actually got a little metal wire on it so you can actually pinch it and make it hold a little tighter so like skipping around under those cables at the ozarks under the docks um it almost never comes out but nice. then yet when the fish bites it i mean there's still enough tension just from the fish you know to pull it off that you know they're like stuck on the bait still but and the thing swims super good <laughs> like yeah, it's and it, pretty fun i bait. assume you'd fished a mag draft prior to that before yes um, um yeah. So I mean, up here, how would you compare? Is it like, is it a tighter? Is it, can you fish it faster? Like, I mean, what so yeah, you can, so you can reel it a little bit faster and it doesn't blow out as much. So like the mag draft, you almost had to have that slow, just steady um, reel just to keep it kicking. Otherwise it, it turns on its side or whatever, but like that coal shed, you can basically reel it as fast as you want. And it just kind of keeps coming and you can, they awesome. got, so one other cool thing with the coal shed is it's got a couple spots on the bottom. Um, where you can actually throw nail weights in it. So if you do want to reel it, you know, super fast or something, you can weight it a little bit just to keep it down. Um, so that's a pretty cool little deal on them too. So we were doing that just to get them deeper and stuff. Yeah, that's nice actually like, and if you try to, uh, the mag drive is a little finicky. You almost, if you fish it too slow, the tail doesn't even kick at all either. It just kind yeah. of like. Yeah, there's like one one speed for the mag drive and yeah. that's it. 
Have you heard? When, when, when are they going to be up, ready for the masses? So I did hear. I'm not sure if I can say, but maybe generally age. like what summer I cast before I like <laughs> fall. It's, like I think it's going to be summer. Okay. But they're going to so do probably big... cast ish probably. Yeah. Like and I, they're going to do a big drop and a lot of people are going to have, it's going to be available. So it's going to be readily when it is available, it'll be readily available is what you're I hearing. think. So that's, that's the plan anyways. For my stacked up at Omnia and you can use the code and, and, and grab a whole bunch of them. Absolutely. So now I was throwing, I had the six and the eights. I was catching, um, most of my fish I was catching on the six, but the, uh, the eight inch you could, I was throwing that around like a lot in practice. And then like when I would get a limit, I would kind of switch to the eight. Um, and I don't know if just the conditions weren't right there, but a lot of fish were following the eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that kind of had a little bit to do with the size of the shad that I was around too. Yeah. Like they were like right at that six inch. So that six inches matched them perfectly. Yeah. And, I think different times of the year when they start to get on gizzards or something like that, that eight inch yeah. probably plays more. Sure. Absolutely. But yeah, both of them swim just super awesome. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. And, and then the bed fishing, uh, the bed fishing bait I was throwing was the uh, the crash craw. So that's a new bait um, in the last couple of years. The Berkeley crash craw. Um, it's got a couple of kickers on it, it's just like a beaver style bait. Hmm. Um, but the the tails kick a little bit harder. So when I was flipping that up on a bed, and I was just using a white one just so I could see it better. Right. But when you sit there and shake your rod, the, the the tentacles would almost like float up a little bit and then they would put out as they would wiggle, they would really put out a lot of flash and like that big female that first day, like she just couldn't stand that thing. <laughs> hmm. So that was a pretty cool bait too. That, uh, <laughs> I wasn't even aware that was a thing. Like that did not, like when you said that, I was like, huh? Yep. That's the one. And I was throwing the white one and the green pumpkin, uh, candy, I think as it's called got the purple and the green fleck in it it's a good looking green pumpkin. i'm like a big green pumpkin party there you go yeah yep. not a bad looking bait how and they've got that in a three and a half and and the four and a half and you were throwing the smaller one i was throwing the smaller one yeah and the only reason for that was just so when they sucked it in like those fish down there um were so finicky like i just didn't want too much bait you know what i mean to for them to have to deal with interesting is the four and a half inch like substantially bigger than the three and a half um yeah it is a little bit bigger the uh about some of the the shape 308s uh the 108s or sorry the 108 yeah like when you jump from the three to the four it's a much bigger bait much bigger profile way bigger appendages like it's like the difference between like i don't know a speed craw and a sugar craw like it's like <laughs> uh, a lot of different movement and water on that so yeah and that, another cool thing with that uh that crash craw is that thing makes a killer chatterbait trailer do you like to rig it vertically or horizontally um i run it horizontal it just really so, kicks good in and you can run it vertically too yep that way yeah it would definitely be good like especially around wood 
it would deflect better if you run it horizontally. But if you want to get it deeper, you know, hooking it vertically, you'd definitely yeah. get a little more. And when we were testing that bait, we were running it um, horizontally, but we could, you could keep your chatterbait up above the grass a little bit better with it too. Cause it kind of yeah. like, it kind of planed it up or whatever. Yeah. And, and they were just crushing that thing. I think Kyle and I had that day, like a hundred fish on it. <laughs> well, check. We got some breaking news here in the chat. Tennessee Bassmaster said, guess who caught a double digit today? I'm guessing he's like, it's got two thumbs and it's this guy. It's probably what he's about to tell us. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, 11-2. Congrats, man. That is a monster. Dang, that is huge. So he comes in here and shows up your Conroe story. Look at that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it is an inch, but like just like the the magnitude of the bait and just like every... It's not just like lengthened. It's like the girth, everything about it is quite a bit bigger on that shape 108 when you move like um which is fine but you just big fish oh, like big baits yeah what's up matt dirt bag how's it going <laughs> <clears throat> cool yeah so i forget how did you finish up at the ozarks then you made day three right yep i made day three i think i ended in 19th there you go Pretty so sure. solid finish you're four you had one stumble three really good checks in a row <laughs> i think you're in 26th out of 150 guys in the MLF Invitationals. So you're sitting yep. really good for requalification. You're yep. uh, putting a little little gas money in the bank at this point, at least. Like, at least you're not, like, I mean, <laughs> probably not as, with travel expenses, it's probably not as uh, glamorous as it sounds. But, like, uh, you know, you're not, I mean, better than going 0 for 4 by a lot. So Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, I was looking at, you're what, like 80 points out of the top eight? Mm-hmm, something like which that which is not i mean it's it's a gap but it's not like crazy like you're i mean the top eight qualify for the bpt so like if you can mm-hmm. string together you know two two more top 20s you could probably potentially be in the conversation so that's it's a good place to be on your rookie season for sure absolutely um so you're going to the potomac river which yep. i'm guessing you've never been to did you pre-scout it or you didn't swing up there after clark's hill or anything like that nope that one's a little jaunt from the house yeah. <laughs> i think yeah. it's like 19 no, i would hours. assume you don't have a ton of title experience nope a little bit of mississippi river just current fishing stuff but uh yeah. the title deal which a lot of the research i've been doing i think basically it's just you got currents coming um what is it like four times a day or something they switch switch directions and stuff so It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out, but I'm looking forward to it and pretty excited to get up there. So, and you have been to lacrosse. Yep, I've been That's to lacrosse in, uh, a couple times. Late July, that should be pretty good. I mean, it should be nothing too crazy. It should be solid summer pattern by that point. So, yeah, should be yeah, good. depending on the water levels though, because right now they got super high water. So, I mean, it's got time to like get super low and get high and super low again by that time. So. <laughs> yeah. So that place moves so much. It's crazy. Um, at least that one, right? Like in theory. So you like you fish, you get a break there June 17th to the 19th. You'll actually have a little window to potentially get home and pre-practice potentially lacrosse a little bit. Yep. So I think I'm actually going to stop on my way to the Potomac mm-hmm. and then yeah, depend on where our dates line up, if we'll get back up there or not. Very cool. Nice. 
if it depends how much how many routes you have to to drive and how many carpets you have to wash and that kind of stuff absolutely and so if you if you you know cash another top 10 top 20 then you can you can maybe afford to skip a few carpet cleans and get over lacrosse if you if you if you finish 90th then you're like well i guess i guess we gotta, <laughs> we gotta get yeah, some work exactly <laughs> you gotta make up for it yeah uh welcome raptor ranch wisconsin we touched on you said you does that make you a packer fan jordan um no i man i don't really follow much sports um that's right i feel like we've got, we're building a bond here I'm, I'm happy about this that's good oh yeah <laughs> yeah no they they asked me last week on that deal too and i'm like man i just don't really even follow it like i just kind of i'll watch it a little bit on the you know if they got it on tv and stuff my wife likes football and stuff so we watch it sure. but I don't, I don't really start sport. watching football until the the, the water freezes. So. Yeah, because that's straight up smallmouth season or smallmouth yeah. fishing then. So big smallmouth too. Well, for you, you've got even longer to wait because you know, it takes longer to freeze down there. So. Absolutely. Yeah, we can catch them all the way into November and sometimes in December. But yeah. but it's kind of crazy too because like Okaboji always freezes a lot sooner than our lakes do down here. Right. I mean, it's almost like a two weeks earlier winter comes up there than it does down here in council bluffs so well i bet you like just three hours north of me <clears throat> i think like brainerd had ice for at least a month after ice went up down when the cities where i live so really yeah yeah that's crazy yeah, i don't think okaboji wasn't open long i mean to me to okaboji this year i think was only uh, a weekish Maybe mm-hmm. two from where yep. I live. So, yeah. Before that, what was it? You know, because I think there's only been a handful of times, like early April, that I've seen the ice off of um, Okaboji. Usually, it's mid to late April before it's before it's all off. But lucky for us, like we don't have a fishing season that closes, so we can. I mean, as soon as ice comes off, it's go time. Yeah. Hence the reason I was down there in April, because <laughs> usually I would go to the river, but the river was so high at that point that, uh, yeah, but I need to go back there more. So, yeah, because they've been catching them on the river this year. Like I've seen some of the bags that have been coming out of that place and it's been super big bags. Yeah. If RJ wouldn't have been so lazy, we could have went over the river tonight, but he didn't want to drive the extra 45 minutes. So, <laughs> um, cool. Oh man, what else is I covered a lot of water ground here? Um, so I guess just in general, like, uh, what, what what are your techniques? What do you like to do? What's your? I mean, are you a finesse guy, a power guy? Do you like fishing deep? Do you like? I mean, like, obviously, whatever's um, biting. But what, what what if you had to you know if you pick a way to to catch them? What, what do you like to do? Man, so I've kind of over the years tried to be as versatile as I can. So. I don't really care what they're biting, just figuring out what they are biting, you know? So, I mean, I've, I like reeling the bait, like crankbaits, chatterbaits, stuff like that. Um, we don't really have a lot of great chatterbait water around home. I mean, Okaboji some, but like actually down, down here, um, at <laughs> least I don't catch them on a chatterbait very good, but, um, so, I mean, like crankbaits, stuff like that. I like throwing them, um, jigs, um, Texas rigs, especially like the brush pile fishing, stuff like that. Um, but then even like, I enjoy drop shot fishing. I enjoy just slowly dragging worms. Um, 
and then smallmouth fishing, you know, there's a lot of drop shot in there. Um, but I don't know if I'm really consider myself really great at any one technique. Um, and I've kind of tried to push myself to be that way just so I don't live and die by something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, just anything to catch a bass, it doesn't really matter to me. I'll throw it. (laughs) Nice. Let's see here. I did have a... So earlier, Jake, I don't know if you're still watching, advice for a high school angler. Yeah, so I would say, I mean, depending on what you want to do in the sport, um, are your goals to go to college and fish or fish professionally? And either way, that doesn't really matter. Just try to put as much time as you possibly can on the water. Um, I can kind of go back to like when I was just getting out of high school, all my friends were going or even into college or whatever. Um, all my friends were going to parties on the weekends and staying up late. And I was going to bed at nine thirty, ten o'clock. So I could get up at four o'clock in the morning, drive an hour and a half to a lake and then fish all day, drive back home and do the same thing again the next day. So the best thing, I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of more YouTube and stuff out too, that you can watch now. So you can get a lot more tips than maybe we could back in the day. Um, so, I mean, that's what I would do. I'd watch as much YouTube as I could um, and then go practice. Like, just fish as much as you possibly can. And yep, I think I agree. the most, most time as you can get on the water, the better. And that means, like, hitting local ponds, yep. getting on your bike, walking, getting a ride. Yeah, so uh, when we were uh, when we were getting, in, a, getting a $100 kayak and getting out on, you know, some small water, like, beg, I mean, your uncle, your brother, your neighbor, like... I mean, yeah. like be the inquisitive kid at the campground that, right? Like just. Yeah, absolutely. So I remember when we were, so um, my parents lived in a neighborhood just outside of Glenwood um, and there was our next door neighbor. They had a son that was a year older than me. And then another one that was like two years younger than my little brother. Sort of like four years difference from the oldest to the youngest ish. And I can't remember. We must've been in, I don't even know if we were in middle school yet. And we saved up all of our allowance to buy a little bass hunter from Shields or Cabela's or who, you know, whoever had it. And we put a 12 volt trolling motor on it. And one of our parents, we would do some kind of chore to get them to drive us across the lake. And it was, the little pond was only an hour and a, or a, a mile and a half away. And we would do whatever we could get to get them to drop us off at that pond. And we'd fish four kids out of that little tiny 10 foot boat or whatever it was. And, and we would fish until the batteries would die. And then we'd get a, get a ride back to the house and do it again the next day. And we do that all summer long. And I mean, we'd throw frogs, we'd throw Senkos and anything you could, you know, anything we could really get to throw at a bass and catch one, we would do it. Yeah, absolutely. And in today's age, like high school angling is booming. So if you're in an area that has a high school club, I think joining that is a great opportunity. Absolutely. Um, and if, I mean, it's not, if you got an interesting and interested, you know, faculty member that you can get to be your, like, I mean, you could start a program. They're not that hard. So, and the nice thing too, with the internet now is like, they post all the tournaments that, um, that are happening on all these lakes every weekend and you can go find just club tournaments, you know, and even if you go into like the paper clubs, like there's usually a boater, a non-boater. Um, some clubs like Okaboji has the Great Lakes Bass Club and, 
and they have a deal where you can sign up without a boat and they'll throw you into a boat um, that doesn't have a co-angler that day. And you can fish the tournament without even owning a boat or nothing. And then you get the experience of fishing behind somebody that maybe knows the water a little bit, maybe learn new techniques because you're not guaranteed any one person when you enter that either. Yeah. So I think that's a great, you know, I used to do that. Um, and I've had younger kids and whatever in my boat too, like fishing that bass club up there. So yeah, it's a pretty cool experience. Absolutely joined the, I mean, my dad was in a bass club and I got, that's where I started and, you know, practice with my dad and then you'd fish tournaments with, you know, other people and, you know, good, bad, you're getting different perspectives. And so, yeah, on top of getting out in the water as much as possible, if you can fish with as many different people, yeah. That helps a ton too. I know it's it's easier to like have a buddy and enter your tournaments and just always fish with the same buddy. Yep. But that does kind of limit uh, your development to some degree, I think. So. Yeah, yeah. Because once you can start bouncing information off of other people that you you know that you can trust, right? Yeah. Um, you can really get things dialed in a lot faster. Yeah. Uh, South Jersey says, what's your favorite top bar to use for tourneys when the fish are chasing forage from shad to herring or minnows? Man, any kind of walking bait. Um, I like the Berkeley Cane Walker. Uh, it's kind of got like a popper bill on it, mm-hmm. um, spits, and it's real erratic, and they've got some pretty cool colors. Um, and like if I was going to be on a shad or – you know, probably even the herring. I mean, just as fast as you can work that thing seems to be the best. Like, and that thing's not even going left and right almost. It's more just like jumping straight and as fast as you can reel it. There's a lot of times that you get those fish to go. Yeah, nice. Uh, somebody on a prey says, uh, do you catch brownfish around Council Bluffs? Or are you talking about going up to Okoboji or? No, we don't. There's a few in the Missouri River, I think. Um, we used to catfish it a little bit back in the day when we were in high school and stuff. And I think we caught some little ones, but I've never targeted them out of there. So yeah, Okaboji is the pretty much the closest Okoboji. place. Spirit Lake, yeah. And they both have great populations of smallmouth bass, and they both have even I think right uh, Spirit even more so, right? Like yeah, so I think there's Spirit, more numbers. I mean, they both have big ones, but I think Spirit has even more numbers, right? From I don't know, I've never fished, but that's what I've heard. But, yeah, Spirit has so. I think spirit just has less largemouth, so it seems like there's more smallmouth because okay. Okaboji is loaded with smallmouth too, like all the lakes, East Lake. I mean, you can catch them in Minnewashta sometimes, and um, West Lake obviously. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of smallmouth in both of those places. Come on up, Gabe. I'll meet you there. We'll, we'll, we'll learn it together. It's pretty much halfway for us. I'll meet you there. Heck yeah. It's not, it's a little, it's a little closer for me, but, uh, <laughs> uh, Kyle wants to know if you've ever been hit by an agent E. <laughs> yeah, we've caught a few on that. That's a pretty sweet bait too. Especially when they get deep and offshore on that outside weed edge and whatnot. Um, though they can really choke that thing down. All right. Brand new Lake. What, what are you reaching for first? Says big bass Malone. Um, so I'm probably going to cover water with a lot and that's probably going to be dependent on time of year, whether that's a spinner bait, a chatter bait, a swim jig or a crankbait. Um, and I'm just going to go as fast as I can until I run into something. And then I might slow down and throw a jig or a Texas rig, but for the most part, I'm going to be covering as much water as I possibly can. Nice. 
Um, I don't know. According to Matt Steffen, there's there's definitely some in Wisconsin. So, <laughs> um, I don't think we have enough trees for them in Iowa. Yeah. So I think you touched touched on this earlier a little bit. I, I don't think you don't like to fish in crowds, right? Um, I think it's. Uh, I think your answer was avoid crowds if you can, but if you couldn't, like at Okeechobee, then it was. Yeah, and try to talk to the other anglers. Like if you're in a crowd, like if you want to move around them or something, like try to you know. I mean, you don't really need permission. It's public water or whatever, but just try to be courteous and, you know, tell them what you're thinking or like, hey, can I come around you? Can I fish? Because if you can get along with the guys in the crowd, it's going to go a lot better for everybody. Like then you're not going to be mad or wanting to leave early or, you know what I mean? Um, and sometimes it's all just kind of figuring out how to be different than everybody else, you know, make your bait right. stand out, whether you go faster or slower or lighter or heavier, um, bigger, smaller. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's some way, and you know, there's always a way you can catch them, um, or figure out just, you know, keep an open mind to everything too, you know, don't get kind of dialed into one thing because things change so much, especially when you're on a place that you've never been to before. Um, you know, it's, it's easier to say that I guess, than it is to do maybe, but you know, I think the best way is just to keep an open mind on, you know, trying different things and hopefully you'll end up running into them or um, running into something that they will bite. Yeah, nice. Gabe, just so you know, I tried to get RJ to get to go to Lake Lake L, but he didn't want to drive to that one either. So we went to a new lake and we didn't catch as many. So <laughs> um, I think you run birds, right, on your nitro? Yep. So I'm running... Um... I got a 15 at the council, a 12 up front for 360, and then I'm running Lawrence, um active target. Hmm, interesting. You have 360, yep. right? Yep. So Taylor says, if you could only have one, would it be 360 or the active target? And I was just talking to my buddy the other day about that, and I don't know. It'd be hard for me to get rid of either of them. Um, it would probably depend on where you were, right? Like, but... Yeah. I mean, if I'm fishing shallow, I could... I mean, I don't want to say I could get rid of it because it can help in shallow water too for seeing stuff. Um, but I don't know. It, that's a hard question for me because I like them both. <laughs> yeah, interesting. What what, uh, what made you choose the active target? Uh, so with the TBF, I got a little bit of a deal on the Lorances. Mm -hmm. um, and I was running the Garmin, the, and, but I had a 10-inch screen and I wanted a little bit bigger screen. So it was cheaper for me to go that route okay but both units are i mean phenomenal i mean i don't think there's you can go wrong economic advantage to like and i think like my lorance and it could just be in my head but i feel like i can see closer to the bottom than i could with my garmin hmm. um but Better i didn't target separation you're saying mm -hmm. Yeah. So like if I was from a drop shot with my, which, and I only had the LS32 transducer on the Garmin too. So I didn't have the new one. Um, but like if I threw a drop shot out and I had like a foot or foot and a half liter, when it would hit the bottom, I would kind of lose it. I couldn't mm -hmm. see it anymore, but with my Lorance, I can see it clean and clear as day. So I've been super happy with the Lorance. I don't have any reason to switch from it. So I'll probably keep running. And is that the active target two, the newest one you have or? So I have the active target two, but I haven't put it on my boat yet. So I'm just running the one right now. I don't know, Aaron. Have you done it? 
if you haven't done it, I'm not sure that you'd say there's no skill in it, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you see a lot of fish, that's for sure, but catching them is another story. Well, and seeing your jerkbait is a whole nother thing. Tracking it is uh, easier said than done. Oh, absolutely. Like, you get any kind of wind, and that's almost, you know, it's not impossible, but it's not. You can't just watch it the whole time, you know. It's an art to, like, control your boat. And yeah, mm-hmm. and, and you get good, too, like, knowing how far your casts actually are. Because, like, before I had live sonar, you know, you make a cast, and you're like, oh, probably 70 60 70 foot but once you start getting active target and stuff going and it seems like you can actually throw a lot farther than you thought you could yeah that and you start to learn more about i it, i to me there's so many things beyond just seeing fish and like, yeah. like seeing a fish and catching a fish that you can see is that that's great and there are situations that plays but uh just seeing life uh activity movement uh understanding what your bait's doing how tall like, the weeds are how far out the weeds are right and you think out. you're slow rolling your chatterbait six feet down to the top of the weeds and then you realize it's only three feet down or you you know what i mean like or or yeah. high tech or whatever it is like what your bait's doing uh it's it's the, the amount of just quick feedback that you're getting from your lures and how fish react whether you're actually like actually casting them and catching them is is it shortens the learning quote uh the learning curve quite a bit um, so it helps you fail fast and learn much faster. So, Oh, absolutely. Like too, I've seen, you know, scenarios where like you're running a crankbait or you're running a blade bait or something and, and the fish chase it, but they just won't bite it, you know? So then you can make a bait selection, like maybe going from the blade bait to the crankbait or vice versa, and then get those fish to react to it. And I've seen scenarios where, you know, you're reeling a crankbait or something and, and you're not reeling it fast enough. You know, you speed that bait up and then also they start smashing it instead of just following it. So a lot of stuff like that, like you would never know if you didn't have it, you know. Right. So you can like you can change colors, you can change speeds, you can change baits and, and just cycle through them much quicker. Um, and like the other day, I was like up here before the season opened, I was fishing crappies, uh, throwing a little little jig, trying to get my reps in to get kind of figure if I can track a little eighth inch boot tail like, you know, a chatterbait or a, a swim bait will seem really easy come summertime. Right. Yeah. And uh and I was like, man, I'm smoking them on this 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 little boot tail crappies, and I see them all over. So I was like, well, I'm going to pick up a 110 Junior Plus One and see if I can't get one of these better crappies to eat that jerk bait. And then, like, jerked it down, and they just went, and I was like, well, that's clearly not going to work. <laughs> like, they're clearly not interested in that. Like, the school just went, woo. And I was like, all right. That was, that was like took me two casts to figure out that was not the deal and i moved on so and that's what's crazy too like you go down like and that's same like up here a lot of times our crappie is you know early season they won't bite the big bait you have to go like a like we use like an inch and a half gulp minnow like a little tiny thing and you can catch them but you go down to like lake of the ozarks and they'll bite a full-size jerk bait like no problem they won't even think twice yeah. about it yeah. but they're used to eating shad and stuff down there so i think that forage is a little bigger but yeah, I don't know. I think to some degree, uh, I just I don't agree with that on hardly any level at all, Aaron. Uh, most of these guys that can catch them can catch them without it. Um, yeah. It just uh, gives them another tool. So, but I will say it is potentially aging out some of the vets that are slower to adapt, and I would maybe agree with that. So yeah. Uh, Matt says if you. Go without your trolling motor or grass for a year. Which one would you get rid of? 
Well, I mean, you can't fish without a trolling motor, so. Yeah, I think if you're a bass fisherman, it's just you. You say I'm keeping the trolling motor. There's really not yeah. an option. I mean, if you're if you're a walleye angler, then you can maybe debate or other species. But like, as a if you're a tournament bass fisherman, I don't know. The trolling motor is the most indispensable thing we have. Yeah, I don't know absolutely. how you present, especially because we're not allowed to troll <laughs> in tournaments. Yeah. Like, I don't well, know. I think that do like especially guys that were into the fishing and stuff before the graphs have gotten as crazy as they have. Um, like, you know, I'm sure you did it back in the day where you triangulate yourself. Um, yeah. You maybe use a heavier jig or something to feel the bottom. Um, and, like, we used to all do that, too, just feeling around trying to find whether it's wood or rock or weeds or whatever. So, I mean, you just go back to doing that again, and and I think you'd be okay. Yeah, I mean, you'd be, you'd be cranking, you know, you know, more mid-depth. I mean, you wouldn't be fishing. I mean, you could fish offshore. You couldn't fish. It'd be hard to fish super deep. Yeah. But yeah, you could still. where you were, but yeah. Yeah. But like, I mean, I mean, Mississippi River, other than navigation, wouldn't be that bad, honestly, right. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Other than you wouldn't know the sandbar was coming until you hit it. Um, hey, if you can't see it, it's not there, right? Right. <laughs> if anything, I, no grass, my boat's just going to run shallower so I can get back further. So Absolutely. Well, look at John Cox. He the dude's hammering the whole every field that he's fishing, and he doesn't have live scope on his boat. So I mean, yeah, you can do it. Typically, sits in a box in the back of his truck, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. John's a pretty cool, dude. And that guy's a hammer. Yeah, absolutely. He's a guy that I'd like to go fishing with. Like, it just seems like he'd be a, a riot. So. Oh yeah, he is. So we took him out on Okaboji last summer and caught him pretty good. I think we had like two and a half days with them out there and. We caught some mega bags in July. Fishing offshore or shallow, or did you guys mix it up? Or? Uh, we mixed it up, but we caught a lot of them off, offshore. Nice. He wasn't nervous? He didn't think he was going to drown out there? He was He was okay? <laughs> no, he thought it was pretty cool. Nice. It's true. So what happened, RJ? Just like what you were doing today. <laughs> nice. All right. Any other questions out there? Try to keeping up on people's questions. Uh, Mitchell did ask, so I'm fishing Vermilion on Monday. I don't know if you've ever been up there. No, up, way up north, up like up past Duluth, like an hour. It's like three plus hour drive north of me. Um, it's definitely going to be pre-spawn. Uh, I think the ice has not been off that long, so it'd be nice to see the water getting into the fifties. Hopefully, get on a good jerk bait, flat side, maybe some some uh bladed jigs but uh i don't know should be good uh it's mixed but this time of year smallmouth typically dominate this time of year but uh we'll see blade baits Um, out yeah it's probably gonna be a little too warm for a blade bait and it's probably one of the yeah i think it'll be warmer than that um yeah, it's not gonna be like we warm up super fast. Like it just like yeah. it happens so quick. Like you could probably fish blade baits for about a week after ice out, and then after that, it's gonna be upper forties, low fifties, and they're gonna start, you know, getting sure. on things. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I know it should be good. Like two years ago, I was up there, and they were like the ice out was a little bit earlier, and like the spawn literally started like during the day of the tournament, and so it was a little tough. Like, um. And I mean, we took second with like 17 pounds and, but like last year there was a tournament up there and like 20 pounds barely got a check 
Dang. And it was pre-spawn, pre-spawn. So yeah. um it is a pretty snaggy place. Um but if we get them on jerk baits, then that's not so much of an issue. But if you got a drag for them, it can be uh it's a nasty place. It's really hard on tackle. Zebra mussels? Just snaggy rocks. Yeah, I mean it's just it eats neds and tubes and drop shots like nobody's <laughs> business. I suppose. Uh, what are those underwater systems in Boji all about? I don't know what he's. I'm not sure what he's talking about either. Like the pipes, like Maybe. the water intakes. That's the only underwater system that I really know, or could be, but they're just water intakes for the town. Welcome, Dustin. Fifties around Brainerd. Yeah, nice. We've got like low to mid 60s all around me but it doesn't feel like the fish like they definitely feel mostly pre-spawn where i am still right now yeah. so i don't know if it's a surface water temp and it's really cooler down below and they're not uh yeah there's a lot of them on beds around us <laughs> yeah he's just talking about the, the, the so those are just feeding the, the town yeah they're just water intakes for the town water Very cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I know you said it was like all about. You think it was just all the bluegills and crappies and all that stuff and like. But I feel like every lake in Minnesota is so chock full of bluegills. So I feel like there's there's got to be something else, another variable. I mean, we've got zebra mussels and you know and and panfish in all our lakes that are yeah. like in it. So I don't know. Is there? So I guess uh, maybe another deal. Um, and I actually just thought about this. So. Okaboji is such a tourist attraction in the summertime. So there's so many big boats anymore. I mean, it's kind of like Minnetonka on the weekends, you know, right. but like all week long. So I don't know if, you know, for one, it keeps the tournament pressure off of there. So there's not a lot of tournaments all summer. Like I think there's one club tournament a month and maybe one other circuit that comes a month up there during, you know, from like June to September, I guess. So I don't know if that maybe has a little bit of effect. There's not as much pressure on it then or or what the deal is, but, but I don't know. Something's right there, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's like, all you wonder, is it like, like, you know, like, is there another bait fish that we're not like seeing, like the hitch? I mean, like, it's not the hitch, but like, is there right. some kind of like, they do Juvenile. have like spot tail shiners up there. Um, yeah. Spirit's got a lot of them, but <laughs> I'm yeah. I mean, you just see just as many perch and bluegill. You know, all the perch are like three to four inches long, so like perfect snack size for them too. So, right. AJ thinks it's all the woo girls on the pontoons. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's something to do with all the all the partiers processing their mickle and light and bush light into the lake and it's like fertilizing and getting it yeah, to... i could be it nope he's on the uh, mlf invitationals not the bpt so he's going yeah. to the potomac and uh the lacrosse, lacrosse not cayuga but cayuga is going to be a smash fest agreed so oh, yeah. they're going to catch the fire out of them and they're i think they're actually fishing before the new york season opens there because it's catch and release <laughs> so they can do the catchway release so they're oh, going to yeah. fishing up kind of a pre-spawn here coming up pretty soon and it's going to probably be pretty pretty crazy the the uh the, the weights that are going to come out of there 
Yeah, that'll be a fun one to watch for sure. So how do you how do you power the rig with, with all your electronics? Although you only you said you only have three graphs on your boat. Yep, so I'm running three. Are you graphs. even allowed to fish the invitationals? Only three graphs on your boat? Like <laughs> yeah, barely. There's a lot more guys with a lot more on them. That's for sure. I mean, I would say the average is probably four or five. I bet you with a lot yeah, of guys. Absolutely. Yep. So yeah, so I'm running um, all powerhouse lithium. I got a powerhouse lithium starting battery. Um, cool thing with that is it's got a jump pack built into it. So say you run your battery down, it's got the little button. You just push it and then you can start your, I think RJ is saying you can start it like nine times off that. Have you, have you used it yet? Uh, I have not had to, no, luckily. So then I'm running a 16 volt, 100 amp hour lithium for my, all my graphs. And that powers, um, well, just the graphs the transducers, stuff like that. Um, then I'm running two 60 amp hour, 36 volt lithiums for my trolling motor. And then powerhouse also has a 28 volt converter that you run it to your, your 36 volt trolling motor battery. It drops your voltage down to 28 volts. And then you run that to the black box on your live scope, whether it be Garmin or Lawrence. So then you're running 28 volts to that. What that does is it gives you a little bit cleaner image. Um, you can see out a little bit farther, your baits show up a little bit brighter on the screen. Um, and I think all that um, has really helped since I've switched to all that. Um, this is the first year I'm running the 28 volt converter and I've been super impressed with it so far. So were you running 16 volt to your box last year? Yep. Okay. Yep. So everything was just off the 16. Um, and then previous to that, I was just, I was running five AGMs and mm -hmm. I mean, you couldn't fish in the wind all day, even on 36 volt. And I don't think I've ever had the lithiums down below like 50%. Yeah. And that's yeah, you really run, running guns. And then the running gun chargers. Yep. So the running gun, I have one that goes to the trolling motor batteries and then I've got one that goes to the 16 volt. Right now. Power for days. Oh, absolutely. And that's how you're able to stay awake driving from Lake of the Ozarks to Okaboji and fish a tournament day is because of the all the batteries. Yeah. Well, luckily my wife, she drove for a couple hours on the way to Okaboji, so <laughs> I thought maybe you figured out a way to like tap into the running gun yourself and like recharge. Yeah. <laughs> Need to. Colby says, do you remember the white bass days on Okaboji? Do you think uh, them declining has helped the the other, the black bass? Yeah, I do. I remember going to the bridges in between Minnewashta and East Lake and Upper Gar, Lower Gar, and you could sit there and catch as many as you wanted. Hmm. The only thing I'd say with that is, yes, we got rid of the white bass, but we gained yellow bass. And I don't hmm. think yellow bass are any better because, I mean, the yellow bass sit there on them smallmouth beds and just smoke the fry and i'm sure they do it to the large mouth and everything else so i don't know if by getting rid of the one and getting the other if we really change anything with that but it could have possibly you know it could be a difference just I mean, because... the, yellow, the yellow basket as big yeah yeah there's some big ones in there like 13 hmm. inches 14 inches probably so is that the same yellow bass they have like down in texas that they call a barfish i think so yeah. so our lakes down here um and I don't know why, but probably just because the lakes are smaller. 
when our lakes get um, yellow bass in them, they'll completely wipe out the fisheries hmm. and they'll basically drain the lake, kill them, kill it off, kill all the yellow bass and then restart the lake. So all of our lakes down here on like a 12 year cycle or something where they get redone every 12 or 15 years. And basically every one of them gets redone. Hmm. And most of that reasoning is to get rid of the yellow bass. So where I mean, are they, they in the, are they in some of the creeks and watersheds or they just keep getting back in or. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know the one lake they just redid that three mile, which is in Creston. When they killed that off, there was a couple like little low spots that kind of got dammed off, I guess. So when they put the chemical in to kill it, they didn't kill those little ponds too. And it was just an accidental thing. So like there's still yellow bass in there now. Hmm. Um, Obviously not as many as there was, but they didn't completely wipe them out. So I don't know if that happens, all the lakes where they just kind of get a few left behind or if people are bringing them and dumping them in or, or if they're just swimming up the streams too. I don't know, hmm. but they're definitely a problem down here. Yeah. Interesting. Cause like, yeah, same thing, Clay, like I've caught them on uh, Lake Fork, but I know a lot of the, you hear guys like Keith Combs and those guys that are big Lake Fork guys, like summertime, they target, the fish that are feeding the, the big fish are the ones that are feeding on the schools of those bar fish and yellow bass. So yep. I don't know. So I don't know, like maybe if you, if you can get that right balance, where like Okaboji's in a good spot where there's so many big predator bass that they can capitalize on it, but yeah, it, it can, you know, when it teeters, right. And if it goes too far the other way, it can, you know, it can, it can wreck it. I think probably. Yeah. So. Well then an Okaboji too has the pike and the muskies. So I'm sure they, devour right. some of them too so. a, lot, a lot more predators northerns yeah some pretty healthy drum oh um, yeah that place is loaded with them i was <laughs> kind of surprised that the first time i went down there i was like i was like and they went and i was like oh man there's drum in here i didn't even see it and i just felt it like spin oh, yeah. like oh man there's Big. drum here Ugh. That's yeah, you can go in June and have yourself a time on drums on East Lake. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> they eat chatterbaits and swim jigs and everything. Oh yeah, everything. Hmm. Clay says they protect the yellow bass at fork, but white bass is like limit of fifty. Weird. Heck yeah. Yeah. I think when you see the, the the drum thrive, I think that the bass. T- I mean, if if the bass are doing well, the drum do well. I don't know. I think they they kind of thrive together. Yeah. I've only heard yellow bass and barfish. That's the two terms I've heard. Um, it yeah. looks just like a little white bass or a little striper, but it just got more of a gold kind of yellowish. Yeah. Into it. Uh. If you're going to Okaboji tomorrow, what's your go-to bait? What do, what do you? Tomorrow, probably a wacky one. <laughs> wacky general, Maxent. Yeah, they might be called sand bass. I think that that might be true. They might be called them sand bass too. Are they spawning pretty hard on Boji right now? So I haven't been up there since the open. Um, I would imagine there's some on beds right now, for sure. But, yeah, there – I mean, I think there was some spot in then. <laughs> I 
The key would be to stop answering his phone and actually fish during the tournament, <laughs> probably. I don't know. We, we don't have, I mean, there's, we have very few places. I mean, the Mississippi river, the Minnesota river have white bass. And there's a couple of like a couple lakes that touch some of them that occasionally you'll catch some white bass in, but we just don't, don't really have, we don't get those up here outside of the Mississippi river for the most part. Prior has some white bass in it. There's a few other lakes, but they're really rare. We don't even get, I mean, down Southern Minnesota, like down by like Mankato and those areas and like Fairbolt and stuff south of me, we'll see like drum in some of these lakes. But once you get up by me in North, you rarely see drum. Um, it's just like we get bass, walleye, pike, perch, bluegills, crappie, it's uh, uh muskies. But we got a lot of hybrid that uh, they're like a mix between a striper and a white bass, mm-hmm. and they can't spawn so they basically just grow up and then end up dying or whatever, but they stock those in a lot of our lakes around here. Pretty good. I mean, they're, they're aggressive. They're mm-hmm. fun to catch when you're not yep. bass fishing there. I think they're a decent table fare for some. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really have, I mean, there's not really even catfish in Minnesota other than the Mississippi river. And so. Yeah. You can come over to the Missouri river and catch all of them you want. <laughs> We're good. Probably just stop stop in north northwest Iowa and not make it much further. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Nice. Oh man. Well, covered a lot of ground. I don't know what uh so any any other are you fishing any other fun tournaments besides the MLF? Are you pretty much focused on that? Like any other yeah, so that's basically the main priority, but we are um so our season will be over the end of july middle right. end of july so we'll fish um just local stuff around here that we can still get into or whatever um i'm also fishing the tbf state tournament um in two weeks up on big stone so goal there is hopefully qualify for regionals and that'll be on okaboji in september again hmm. um but yeah other than that just basically if there's no tournament just i'll just be out on the water somewhere you know Fishing as much as possible. Two weeks. Big stone. Is any clubs that would let me in at this point? <laughs> oh, probably. You can get a hold of Tony Semino. He'll throw you in somewhere. So that's uh, South Dakota, Nebraska. And you think Iowa's in there now? Yep. So Iowa's having their state tournament. So this is the you're you're fishing the Nebraska state tournament yep. on yep. Big Stone. And then, uh, and then Iowa just started a club. They actually just had a deal on Facebook the other night. Um, and I want to say it's like the 15th of July. And don't quote me on that. I had to look back. Fifth, somewhere right in there, though, on Rathbun in, like, southeastern Iowa. I'm not driving down there. That's not happening. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a drive down there. But there's biggins in there. I mean, they weigh up to eight pounds every year out of there in tournaments, so. But yeah, that's pretty much my plans for this year. Just finish. Are up. you not in a TBF club, AJ? <laughs> there you go. You guys can start your own. 
start our own Nebraska club. Well, I think the entry fees have to be in by Friday, maybe. So you guys better get on it if you're going tomorrow or two days from now. Friday, yeah. But there's still time. There's still time. I need to get my life in 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 organization so I can plan this out better. <laughs> Although I'm like next year, my daughter will have a driver's license, so then maybe I'll have even more time to go fishing. So heck yeah. That's true. You don't have to either here in Minnesota. Like if you have a registered club, you get an automatic to the semis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Missing out, AJ. What's going on? July 15th and 16th? Who's talking what's that about what? What's July 15th? I'm guessing that's the Iowa date. Yeah. Uh, okay. I can look it up too. I'm pretty sure that's, that's right, right though. I'm, I'm not going down there. It's too far. And I don't know what. See, like Big Stone, I could show up day of practice and probably figure something out. I've been there a few times. So. <laughs> cool. All right, dude. Well, appreciate you coming on last minute. It was fun yep. talking to you, getting to know you. Absolutely. Thanks if, you're for ever, uh, if you're up ever at uh, Pool 4, give me a holler. It's not too yeah, far. I will me. for sure. I might take you up on that. We'll be up there in July. You, you always bring your boat up there? Or? Oh, yeah. 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 Fish around Wabasha and stuff. And I think the pools below Wabasha are pretty good, though, too, aren't they? I've never, five, I think we've only yeah. been on there once. Five. Actually, 5A is one of my favorite pools, but is it? Yeah. They're all pretty good, but yeah. Well, if you guys came in late, uh, think about catching the replay on Facebook or YouTube. Some good information earlier. Uh, so Jordan, if people want to, I mean, I think you're on Instagram, Jordan Hurt Fishing. Is there yep. anywhere else to follow along? Or and then just Jordan Hurt on Facebook. Okay. Actually, I looked at we've evidently we've been friends for a while on Facebook. I had, had no idea. Heck yeah. <laughs> you yeah. got a lot of. A lot of people with holding bass in their profile pics that are friends of mine on Facebook that I've never really met. So, oh, yeah, same. That's the good part about social media, right? See yeah. everybody's good days. Nice. Well, cool. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'll be fishing a tournament. Should be streaming again next week. Guest to be tournament, probably Wednesday night again. Appreciate everybody. I'm going to call it a wrap early tonight. Get my stuff ready for Vermilion because the first this would be my first tournament of the year because the, my river tournament got uh, canceled. So I'm pretty Heck stoked yeah. to like get after it. So, well, sweet. Well, good luck up at Vermilion. <clears throat> right on. Uh, thanks everybody. Uh, as always, here to help you guys catch more big bass and suck less. Yep. See you guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. <laughs>